you come into our lives, that you come into our hearts, for you are the king in heaven and on earth, and all things are under your control. God, will you speak through Rick today, that you would 
speak his word through him and into our lives. And may you just uh, just bless all of us wherever we are today. And that uh, with all the turmoil in country and whatever's going on in our lives, we pray that, that you would just be there with us as we remain in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's welcome up Diego for some announcements. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Diego Cervantes. Uh, I serve here with the youth group and the facilities team. And I just want to say welcome and good morning. Um, while it's a bummer that we can't meet in person, uh, we're really thankful that we can still create a space here uh, to worship and to uh, just uh, gather virtually together. Uh, so if you... Uh, uh, need to find the song lyrics or the listening guide for the message, uh, you can type in civalhambra.com slash Sunday. Uh, and you're also welcome to give online and fill out a digital connection card there as well. Uh, we have a couple service opportunities coming up uh, this uh, holiday season. Uh, first, on November, Saturday, November 14th, uh, there's going to be an opportunity to help out our sister church, uh, Valley Lights Church. Uh, we can be part of what God is doing over uh, in Santa Clarita uh, by helping distribute door hangers um, around the neighborhoods uh, as they begin to ramp up their church services uh, and uh, just help out, get the word out uh, about this new church. Um, so let us know on your connection card uh, if you'd like to serve. The second opportunity, and a personal favorite of mine, is going to be through Operation Christmas Child. Uh, Samaritan's Purse is a non-denominational uh, Christian organization uh, that provides spiritual and physical uh, aid to hurting people. And we can be a part of packing toys and school supplies, as well as other gifts and shoeboxes uh, that will be sent all around the world. Uh, so shoebox collection day is on uh, November 22nd, so mark that on your calendars uh, if you want to be able to give a shoebox. Um, and information and uh, shoeboxes uh, will be available at um, the guest resource table next week when we meet in person. Uh, so with that, I'd like to welcome up Rick uh, for his message, and uh, yeah, enjoy. Thank you for those announcements. And didn't it sound like he said to me, uh, instead of welcome up, I think he said, wake him up. <laughs> it's good to be with you here at CIV Alhambra. Um, this today will be the third and final in this series on cleanse, cleansing the temple. Um, you know, and it's interesting, this, one of the descriptions, uh, self-identifications, of scripture is that we need to see ourselves as the address God wants to have. It says you're bought with a price, you're God's temple, it's where God dwells, and consequently it's important for us to internalize this idea of cleansing the temple, that our temple uh, might be all that God wants it to be, a meeting place with him and for him. So let me invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, verses 12 through 17, and uh, we're going to dig in here because these we're looking at the four reasons people come to church, and the last couple of weeks we've looked at uh, they come to worship, they come to look up, they come to praise, they come to experience God, so come to worship, um, and the, you know, can't ever forget that because it puts everything in our lives in a right perspective. Now, I don't know how you feel this morning. Uh, do you feel like you're a, a winner or you're a loser, depending on how the election went? But when we worship, we get above that 
temporary political issue and turmoil. And we see that he is the one that makes us have a sense of, of, of winning and rejoicing in him. Now, today, I want to look at the last two reasons, which are people come for fellowship and for forgiveness. And uh, so I want to just dig in real quick here. So Matthew 21, verse 12 and following. And um, so Jesus went into the temple complex. Now, the, the occasion is it's high holy days, it's Passover. So it's packed out. Um, at the temple area. And Jesus went into the temple complex and drove out all the, those that were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the money changer tables and the chairs of those selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. And verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him in the temple complex and he healed them. By the way, Jesus preferred to heal touching people. He could heal from distance, but he preferred to touch. Um, at least that's the pattern. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonders that he did and the children shouting in the temple complex, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, have you never read you have prepared the praise from the mouths of children and nursing infants. Then he left them, went out of the city to Bethany, just across the, the valley there, and spent the night there. Uh, now, just a teaser. Um, there's a very unexpected end to this story. Uh, beyond the uh, story of the, of the fig tree, when we jump to uh, John chapter 2, so... Uh, be ready to get to John chapter 2 so that you can pick up the benefit of that. Good. Turn my timer on here. Um, so, people come to church for fellowship. Now, fellowship is sort of a religious term. Uh, it, it, it's related to friendship, but it's a purposeful kind of friendship. Uh, the elements of, biblical elements of fellowship are... Um, Think of the word ship. Finding the right captain who will lead you to the right ship. You know, choose your captain carefully uh, because navigation, everything depends on the right captain. And when you think about your life, who's the captain of your life? Who chooses the direction, the destination, and will put you on the right ship? I personally think that this fellowship here at CIV Alhambra is, is, is a right ship, you know, under Captain Jesus. And as I was sitting there listening to the music, I just enjoy the, the worship here uh, and the prayers, uh, even the announcements I'd like to applaud. Uh, but this might be the best 60 minutes in my week, being with you guys. So thank you for being here. Thank you for celebrating. Thank you for inviting me in there. Right captain, right ship. The second is the right greeting. The scripture is very clear about the nature of fellowship has a lot to do with how you welcome people. And it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh, show affection. Uh, show that you know that person. You know, being known is so important. 
You can be all alone except there's one person in the room that knows you. It changes everything. But if you're all without anybody who knows you, recognizes you, calls out to you, uh, that's, a, that's a significant kind of loneliness. Um, I think during uh, uh, the Ger- Germany leading up to World War II, I think that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor there, um, he was sensitive to how lonely people were feeling. How many people had no one to greet them? They were afraid to greet one another, to show recognition. Uh, but we're not. And in this place called CIV, we greet one another. I, I remember, now you may find this hard to believe, but not everybody likes me. But I remember one time at church, I was pastor. They were supposed to like me. Um, there was a lady who had a bone to pick with me. She was mad at me. She was angry with me. She wanted to straighten me out. And so she was laying for me in the church parking lot. And as I started to cut across uh, from the car to the building, she met me in the, you know, stopped me in the open space there in the parking. And she just, I don't even remember what she said, but I could tell she was angry, and she was angry at me, and she just sort of kind of tore into me. And I looked at her, and I said, Good morning, Mrs. So-and-so. And she immediately stopped laying into me, smiled, and forgot what the rest of the problem was. When people know that you will greet them, no matter what the case is, that you're glad to see them, that kind of connecting is amazing. You know, when your little children are in you know, know they've broken the rules and maybe they've broken the lamp or whatever, they're not expecting to be greeted. But if you start with a connection, it changes the dynamic of everything. So greeting them. Five times in the, in the New Testament, it talks about greeting one another with a holy kiss. Remember, the reason we greet them, we greet them as brothers and sisters because we've become a family of the Lord. Um, fourth, uh, in the notes, it, it quotes Ephesians 4.15, sharing the truth in love, which means right speaking. Here, above all places, we want to speak the truth because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Our God is a God of truth. But it's truth and love. Share the truth in love. Now, I know that as you're listening to this, look around, see who's seeing by, sitting by you. Some of you are truthers and some of you are lovers. What do I mean by that? Well, you're more apt to share the truth without love. And you have to work at sharing the truth in a loving way. Others of you are lovers. And you'd rather not say the words that may hurt. They're true, but it may cause pain. So you're more lover. Well, it's not either or. It's, you know, I don't stand like this. I don't stand like this. Both feet on the ground, sharing the truth in love is what we're called to do in a right fellowship. Okay, now, how do we start this when we see people? We greet one another in love. You know, in the name of the Lord, it's great to see you. And how do we end it? In Ephesians 4, right at the end, it talks about how to fight fair. Now, I'm not going to go into all of that, but all of us got angry from time to time. And there's a right way and a wrong way to handle your anger. But there's 
the same way that you end the conversation. See, I know how, in, as Christians, as followers of Christ, I know how every conversation is going to end. They're all going to end the same way. They're going to end with a holy hug. Because nothing's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And even if we have to take the argument up later, it doesn't matter. Until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine on you. So a right leaving. Because I remember that God in Christ has forgiven me. And if he's forgiven me, I can forgive you and you can forgive me. And so we know how every conversation ends with that, that sense of love. Now, we got a problem because of COVID. Because psych- psychologists and scripture tell us people need to be hugged. People need to be touched. Uh, one psychological study said if you are touched six or less times in a week, it's hard to not be depressed. But if you are hugged or touched or patted or shook or whoop, you know whatever, nine or more times, it's a little hard to get depressed. So touching is so important. Well, I have a class on Thursdays, and half the class meets face-to-face, half the class meets on Zoom, just like you are right now, and there's no touching. And I've been thinking about that and praying about it. Normally, when I have a class that meets for three hours, about the third hour, people are tired. And so what I'll have them do is I'll have them stand up, and everybody turns to the right. And they put their hands on the shoulders of the person in front of them, and they just start massaging, you know, because I guess blood runs to your feet if you've been in a class for three, two hours and you're in the third hour, so push some of that blood back up the head. It just feels good. Lay hands on one another, the Bible says. And because I know that some people do it too hard, I give turnabout fair play, have them turn the other way, and the other person gets to put their hands on your neck. You know, if you're with your crowd and you don't have to have a mask, you could do that right now. It feels good for people to touch you. Um, and the scripture recognizes that. People come for fellowship. They come for a touch. Uh, this Friday, last Friday, um, through Zoom, I participated, I guess you can call it that, in a funeral service for a friend of mine I had known for 35 years. For 28 of those years, he was the executive pastor at a mega church in Orange County. Um, He retired about 10 years ago. Uh, But in Rick Warren, uh, talking about my friend Glenn, he shared a story that was just amazing to me, but predictable because of Glenn and his kindness to people. Uh, The service was about to start, and there was, you know, two or 3,000 people there. And Glenn comes to the front because he, you know, he makes the announcements as the executive pastor and so forth. So he's coming down the aisle, and about, you know, a third of the way down towards the front, there was a woman sitting there, and he couldn't have known this. But that woman was afraid. She was desperate. She was lonely. Um, It's Sunday, and the next day, she's going to have a double mastectomy. And so she felt lonely. She felt desperate. Um, She didn't know if God cared, but she's sitting there. And as Glenn comes down the aisle, he puts his hand on his shoulder and says, God bless you. Now, that's not very much, but it's exactly what that woman needed. She said, that was it. That's what I needed. I knew that God knew I was there, and he cared about me. 
Now, sometimes the touch that you give or the greeting you give or the hello you give or the kindness or hospitality you show doesn't mean anything to you. You don't even remember you did it, but it changed everything for that person. Do you remember in Scripture it says a cup of cold water? Those little touches are what make life work. So be willing to not just receive fellowship, but to give fellowship. And by the way, fellowship doesn't just end in the space. It goes all the way to the parking lot. It goes to the mall. It goes to work. Because hospitality, the essence of hospitality, is the capacity to turn strangers into friends. Hostility is doing the opposite, turning people you know into enemies and strangers. We practice hospitality here at CIV because that's what Christ is teaching us. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people live in unfriendly places. Doesn't matter if it's their home, doesn't work, there's abuse, there's adversity. At work, people are out to get you, can't turn your back, uh, your boss is out to get you. Uh, maybe you drive on the roads and, you know, I don't know if, you, if you're like me, some days I know it's just not safe for me. I need, to, I need to get off the road. Well, you come to church, there needs to be a place that's safe. I remember uh, reading a story about a man who came to church uh, it was the week after his divorce, and first the pastor met him and then chastised him a little bit about his divorce, and then a leader in the church also talked to him and also chastised him about the divorce. And for him, that, that morning, he changed from a friend at church to a stranger. Now, on his way home, he, he stopped at a at a saloon, stopped at a bar. And he went in there and, you know, to get, I don't know, beer or whatever. And the bartender was exceptionally kind to him. One of the table servers came over and brought him peanuts. And they found a way to make him feel welcome. You know, it was like the song Cheers, Everybody Knows Your Name. Well, he never went back to that church. But every Sunday he went to that bar. Because people are looking for a place where they can be loved and cared about. Um, what kind of place will this be? What kind of place will you let it be? If you're looking for a place like this, this is the place. We'll give you a big, wonderful greeting. When we celebrate communion together, the Lord's Supper, those of us who have given our lives to Christ and follow him in believer's baptism, what happens, two things, when we celebrate communion. We're supposed to remember that intellectually, in, in our uh, cognitive capacities, that Christ died for us. We're bought and paid for. We belong to the Lord. We're his address. He, he's moved in, and he's coming for us again, as we sang just a minute ago. But on the other side, on the affective side, do this in remembrance of me. You know, if I had a you know, horrible accident and my, my hand was dismembered, if I was you know, if it was properly iced and I got to the hospital and the right doctors were there, I could be remembered. I could be put back together. And when we celebrate communion, we think about this fellowship. Stuff happens, okay, honestly. We get to misunderstand each other. There's a wrong communication. We jump to conclusions. I have a friend, he says, the most exercise we get is jumping to conclusions around here. Um, 
So what I mean is, when we celebrate communion, we need to be remembering with one another. Remember that Christ died to make us one. So we maybe should stop the communion, even stop the offering, Jesus said, and go get right with somebody that you need to get right with. You know, the best thing in the world you could do right now is if you know somebody that you're out of sorts with, a family member, a neighbor, a worker, um, you know, hit the stop button on Zoom, pick up the phone, it's probably already in your hand, and give them a call. Reach out to them. Honor the Lord by carrying out his intention with communion. Christ died to make us one. So reach out and carry that forward as we celebrate. Now, the second, so we, people come to church for fellowship, but they also come for forgiveness. So let's look at that. And I want us to turn to John chapter 2. I won't dwell on this super long, but uh, John does a lot of unexpected things here. And uh, so let me, let me read it to you. There we go. So now, if you've been following this, have you noticed that there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And we've looked at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And do you remember, they're all, the story of Jesus cleansing the temple is in the back half of that Gospel. But we're looking at John chapter 2. John does something unexpected. His account of Jesus cleansing the temple is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, we know during Jesus' three-year ministry, his public ministry, that there would have been at least three Passovers. And in each account, the cleansing is at the Passover when the temple was packed out. So, did John get it wrong? Or did the other three get it wrong? Or were there actually two cleansings? I kind of prefer that one. But let me read the story. John chapter 2, verse 19. Um, well, let's get down here. John chapter 2, let's start at verse 13. The, the Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. That's what you do. In the temple complex, he found people selling oxen, sheep, doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. And after making a whip out of the cords, he drove everyone out of the temple complex with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace, into a Costco, into a Home Depot. Stop it. Into a flea market. Stop it. Uh, now, that shouldn't surprise us because we, we've covered this, the other three accounts of that. Um, we know that the words are coming uh, his disciples remembered, verse 17, zeal for your house will consume me. Why is Jesus so full of zeal and enthusiasm about that place? He calls it my father's house because it is the place by God's gracious design where we meet God, where we are with God. We're with others as we worship together. Um, and the main thing, the business of the place, is being with God, meeting him face to face, getting forgiven. Now, 
Church can be business. Church can be big business. Um, there's a lot of money sometimes in church. Um, and we can get caught up in the business of church and forget what the church's business really is. The whole business of the church is meeting God, is finding forgiveness, of seeing him face to face, of refreshing our relationship with him, of greeting him and loving him and hearing the truth and love from him and surrendering to his call for this time and in this place. Um, Jesus committed this act of a prophet to cleanse the temple because they had forgot what their business was and they weren't doing the business of God. Um, you remember when in Genesis 2.18 God said it's not good for us to dwell alone. There's goodness to being in fellowship with God and goodness to being in fellowship with one another. Uh, the scripture says that we're commanded to confess our sins one to another. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, if a person is alone in their sin, they are utterly alone. Is this the kind of place, is this the kind of fellowship where we can share our weaknesses, our failures, our sins, um, where we fell very short? That's what this place is called to be, that kind of sharing the truth in love, because that's when forgiveness comes. Now, in 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9 through 10, there's a whole sin list of things that God forgives. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 9. Uh, Do you not know uh, that the unrighteous, this is 1 Corinthians 6, 9, uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, everybody knows that. You know, the kingdom of God is, is about righteousness. Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, and any uh, practicing uh, homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, swindlers, will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this. We gather here because we want to be used to be's. We want to see God do a work in our lives, so we quit failing at our lives. Look at what it says. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God makes us right. God puts us right. You know, may I can make a confession? I'm kind of addicted to watching chiropractic videos. You know, where, where people come in like this and they go out like this. <laughs> or, you know, people are twisted and they go out like this. Okay, it looks magical to me, but, and you hear that pop, 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 and, you know, all that stuff. But that's what this is. God puts us right. Um, he makes us able to stand spiritually true and straight and up. Um, you know, back in the Matthew passage, the lame and the blind could find Jesus. Because he cleansed out all that stuff, there could be that kind of fellowship where those of us who come into church limping, those of us who come into church and are, we have no insight to how to understand what's happened. He brings that to the table as we fellowship with him. 
um, as we find forgiveness and restoration. Um, people come here because people watch, because they know the forgiver is here and how he loves us. He's our helper. He cares for us. Hebrews 13, 6 says, The Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can people do to me? When we come and have that sense of forgiveness, we've been helped. And the helper will not let us go because he loves us. He won't let us go. Um, I want you to look now at that surprising passage in here. Uh, looking down, after he cleanses the temple, um, and says to them, destroy this sanctuary, and I will raise it up in three days. Well, they thought they were talking about the temple. But Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the exact point of meeting God. Therefore, the Jews said it took 46 years to build. Are you going to build it up in three days? But he was speaking about the sanctuary of his body. Christ is our sanctuary. Christ is where we meet the living God. And Scripture says that his death on the cross was for us so that our sin could be forgiven. A perfect lamb. Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's taken our sin away. Well, how do we know that's true? Because on the third day, he was raised from the dead. That means sin offering has been accepted. And God is stamping Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Good with him. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so, look what happened. While he was in Jerusalem at the Passover fest festival, many trusted in the Lord, uh, trusted in his name when he saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Usually, we want to talk about trusting Jesus. He's absolutely trustworthy. And his resurrection from the dead is solid spiritual cement to know you can trust him and he will not let you down. He's risen from the dead. That life that he's risen is for us. But question is, can the Lord trust you? Now, this is, this is a, a free side note. I'm almost done. There's a little book by Stephen Covey. Apparently, if you're born into the Covey family and you're a male, you have to be named Stephen. So this is really Stephen Covey, the second or third. And the book is called The Speed of Trust. And in it, he identifies 13 characteristics that if you practice those, you will actually build trust faster uh, than it, most people think. Uh, a lot of times we think you can lose trust instantly, but it takes forever to build it back up. That's not actually the case, according to the data that Stephen Covey has identified. So as I was thinking about this, how can I show Jesus that I'm trustworthy? He can trust me with the life he wants to give me. He can trust me with my faithfulness. He can trust me. I think part of it is what you're doing right now. You're listening. You're listening for his voice. You're listening to his word. You're listening to his praise. All of those things are signs to the Lord. This person is trustworthy. I think promptly responding to whatever he says to you. You know, the scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any person opens the door, I will come in and sup with him. If the Lord's knocking at your door, answer it. Answer him. 
Let him in. Sit down with him. Give your life to him. Never depart from him. He will find you trustworthy. And it's to the trustworthy that the Lord gives missions, gives assignments, gives promptings, so that you extend those little hospitalities that rescue people from the, the precipice, that rescue people from the abyss of loneliness and desperation. This is God's plan to touch us so that we can touch others also. So that when we join together as often as we can, like today, we find fellowship and we find forgiveness. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are knocking on the door. And Lord, we have opened the door this morning and we have found rich and deep fellowship. We've been able to sing with you, pray with you, hear your word. Lord, uh, may your spirit go out uh, through these, these, these waves of radio and sound and video to touch lives, to change us, so that when we leave, we're not just leaving, we're leaving having fellowshiped, we're leaving having been forgiven. Hear our prayer, Jesus and find us trustworthy. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. to reflect on that. Fill out the connection card of your next steps. Let us know how you're doing. Um, we're going to take some time to, to pause and to reflect on that, and then we'll continue worshiping. of mercy that bought with blood wholeheartedly my soul undeserved 
Blessed week, and we do hope to see you guys in the next week. Have a good one.